Welcome to Founders Field Notes, the podcast where you can learn from founders how to become a founder. I'm Jason Klug, CEO and founder of Klugonics Group and serial entrepreneur. This week's episode, we have the founder of Ultra Running, Jeremy Howlett. First time we've interviewed a shoe company, which is pretty neat because the development of shoes is a difficult process. It's hard to make a shoe fit on people's feet well. But Jeremy figured it out. Jeremy and his co-founders figured out the wider toe box with the zero drop design that helps runners' feet do what they need to do naturally to be comfortable for sustained running performance. They also have gender-specific designs to help adapt depending on what someone's foot is like in the shoe. So have a listen to Jeremy talk about his co-founders, Golden and Brian, work through the process of developing the perfect running shoe, years and years of prototyping, testing, validating, and what he learned along the way. My wife this morning, my wife's a marathon runner. Okay. So she's done Boston three times. Um... She's tr- working to do it again. We just had a uh, our first baby last year. He's now Congrats, nine months old. Awesome. So she's just starting to get back in the, you know, like today she's doing an eight mile run, training run, which so she's like getting back up and starting to build back her mileage, you know. Um, and she was saying that ultra running is the, you know, she she loved what you all did, bringing on and sponsoring pre and post uh, baby moms on your team versus like Nike and them just drop them. Yeah. And that was, uh, something amazing to hear. Yeah. So years ago, we, we were in conversations with Carrie Goucher and Mm -hmm. it, it fizzled while I was there and then it came, the conversation came back. Right. And eventually Kara left and came over to ultra and is kind of ultra's flagship spot, like flagship athlete. Right. Yeah. And so with that relationship and even like even going years back, right? Like the ethos of Ultra was was kind of a three-pronged approach, right? Like we had three pillars that we stood on. Mm-hmm. One was zero drop. Mm-hmm. Second was foot-shaped, right? Mm-hmm. Like foot-shaped toe box, like yep. not, not the tapered toe box, right? Absolutely. And we can get into that. But the third one was we don't want to just shrink it and pink it, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of shoe companies take a shoe, a men's shoe, they, they use the same last mm. and then they just put some female colors on it. So mm. we rebuilt the female last from the ground up, specifically around a female foot because there's some unique differences with a female foot. Mm-hmm. Obviously, men and women are different, right? Yep. Like, and so, so with that as like our original ethos, like that carries us in very well to catering to female athletes. And, mm-hmm. and we've always wanted to just to cater to that female athlete specifically, yeah. right? Like they're they're not just an athlete, right? Their wife, their mother, their this, mm-hmm. that, whatever, right? Like mm-hmm. and you know, women come back after pregnancy a lot faster than they yes. did when they went yeah. in. There is truth the, to baby doping. That's like what it's... I keep telling Kels. I'm like, Kels, you know, <laughs> next time you're running Boston, I'm gonna be on the sidelines with our baby boy and think about the motivation you're gonna get versus just me just waving at you. You know, <laughs> it's gonna change your your mentality even in the race, I think. Well, and you, you also know, but, yeah, but you also think physiologically yeah. as well, right? Like a woman that goes through childbirth yeah. went through major labor pains yes. and her pain threshold has increased. Yeah, right? like so twenty four hours of it. Yeah, yeah. So she can endure a lot more pain. Yep. And that's something else. So you too. go you go throw that into a twenty six mile race or mm-hmm or 13 mile race or whatever, right? Yep. Like, 
she's going to be able to push a little this deeper. This is nothing. Run right. Hard. right. Like it's, there's, yeah. there is like, I don't know if there's probably reports and science done on this, but mm. like there's a true conversation around baby doping. That's, right? a, like, that's a great point. I, yeah. It'll be interesting because she's going to do uh St. George. Uh, and if St. George, if she's not feeling ready for it, she'll just do the half as a training run and then she'll do CIM, which is where her fastest race is so far. And, you know, she's hoping to qualify again for 2025. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So she just loves that, that stuff, you know. Also, Ed, our, uh, our engineer, is a big ultra running shoe wearer. Awesome. He burned through. Uh, he's had the same pair of ultras for like the, since he, I mean, what, six years, seven years? There's holes in them and stuff, That's, but he still loves them. <laughs> you know? so, I think it's time for a new pair. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah no, he loves them. So yeah, so great. He's bringing great down company. the lifetime value of the bread. Like, oh, the yeah, that's fair enough. Fair value. Enough. Well, he's he's. I mean, he's a pretty frugal guy, so you know. No, that's awesome. Yeah, that's but, great. Well, and our original shoe, the Instinct, which was that was our first and foremost, right? Like mm-hmm. we kind of built that thing. Just it was a road shoe, but we had guys take it and and gals take it on the trail That's and do all he, kinds of stuff he right does. like he's a trail runner so yeah we were we were shocked to get reports that people were putting a thousand to twelve hundred to fifteen hundred miles incredible running miles on a pair of shoes mm-hmm. when the average running shoe really is kind of shot after three hundred to yeah. five hundred miles yeah. right like yeah and and we were getting 4x that on, mm-hmm. on people and mm-hmm. so it was like well maybe we made them too good because mm-hmm. as a brand that's great right like get longevity out of your product it creates loyalty it creates brand following mm-hmm. but it also hurts repeat purchase fair enough yeah <laughs> yeah so do do you think the longevity is the the body of the shoe or is it the the foam durability and how it handles the compression and breakdown I think it's some of that, but I also think it's just when when you wear a shoe properly, when you run properly, mm-hmm. it's going to last longer. Yeah, strike in the middle of your foot. And yeah, yeah. yeah, instead of just putting a lot of impact into one area like the heel, right? right? Like if you can spread out that impact across the whole sole, mm-hmm. that's going to increase longevity of your shoe for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's when there's a lot more like arch supports and other just shapes and elements to a shoe per se, right? Like mm-hmm. then there's more that can break down. Definitely. Um, which Ultra now, right? Like has kind of evolved to, yeah, there's different art supports and different mm-hmm. things, right? But it's still that zero drop and still kind of pushing you to, or allowing you to run with proper running technique and running form. And yeah. And so, so, so you can, yeah. When did you start? So we we started... Well, we we kind of concocted the idea and I said, let's do it on my cousin who was my business partner on his birthday in 2009. Okay. So for a good bit. we were, I went down to visit him at his house and mm-hmm. we were, I, I was in the area and I was like, I need a new pair of shoes. So let me go talk to Golden and we'll see what, mm-hmm. what he can get me set up with and might mm-hmm. as well because go wish him happy birthday as well and stop by his house and he's like, hey, you should check out what I'm working on. And this is and your cousin. This is my cousin. Co-founder. Yeah, yeah. He's the R and D background of it. Then? He's, is that? Well, I don't know. Yeah, whether we call it background or not, but it was 
It was rough R and D. It was sure. basement toaster oven R and D. I mean, right? that's, like how, it's... that's how some of the, <laughs> my favorite. I love when a client walks in and they bring exactly that, like a benchtop prototype. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this is what I've been tweaking and here's my sixth version of it. <laughs> and, you know, like, those are my favorite projects to dive into because they've answered a lot of the questions and the theory behind it or whatever it is going to be or the user experience yeah. or whatever they've solved or focused on. Then they already have answered that question and then we just have to figure out the rest around it. Yeah, but, his his R&D experience goes back to his dad, right? Like, his dad, Hawk, who's this, <laughs> like, legend in Utah running... Um, owns a running store in Orem, Utah, and just and is that Golden? Is that so? So that's so Hawk is his dad, right? Yeah. So Hawk's my uncle, and and yeah, so that's Golden's dad, right? So okay, Golden is your cousin. Yep. Okay, and so so going back to Hawk, right? Like in the early '80s, he blew out both of his knees at playing football. Mm-hmm. He was he was a highly touted baseball athlete in the late '70s, early '80s, and was now told that he would never play play sports again mm-hmm. and and as a as an athlete that's a hard thing to hear right oh, like, yeah. you, like, no, yeah. like what yeah well he gets a postcard in the mail it says real men run marathons and and <laughs> okay. so even with both knees blown out he's like I can run a marathon I'm a real man I can do this all right and started getting into running but found that the only way that he could run without like knee pain was to run like perfect form. Yeah. So he studied biomechanics and started studying running form and all of this and eventually became a Saucony athlete and cool. won the Saint the 1984 St. George Marathon. Okay. And but if you look at his shoes like his early R&D was taking a drill or taking a razor blade to cut off parts of the shoe, drill holes in the midsole, sure. make it so he could land better, make the shoe lighter, mm-hmm. just all kinds of crazy updates and mm-hmm. and tweaks to the shoe. And so this is like, this is what Golden grew up knowing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if you want to take the outsole off of a shoe, you got to heat up the glue mm-hmm. and then you can peel the outsole off. Sure. Well, I've got a toaster oven that makes my Totino's pizzas rolls mm-hmm down in my bedroom. So mm-hmm. let me use that. So he puts a shoe in, melts that, melts the outsole, peels it off, cuts off all of the midsole, and then takes some flat Spenco foam, double layers it, glues that on, cuts it to shape, glues it on as the midsole, mm-hmm. glues the rubber outsole for traction back on. Yeah. And then takes that out now as his trail shoe. Okay. And that was his first ever zero drop shoe. Right. And zero drop meaning this it, this doesn't taper or angle, so there's a thicker heel. Correct. Same yeah. height off the ground, heel the forefoot, yep. right? Traditional running shoe mm-hmm. is twice as high in the heel as it it's is like in a the wedge. forefoot. Yep. Since Ultra started, that heel height has come down quite a bit across mm-hmm. the industry. Industry standard used to be 12 to 14 millimeters. Mm-hmm. Now it's more like 6 to 8 millimeters. Yeah, the, and then, but well, then you see like the the zoom flies and stuff like that, right? Where they're like, you know, right. massive amounts of foam is crazy to me. <laughs> yeah. But I guess it just depends on, and, and it's also, there's a preference aspect to it, right? Like in your running style and, and what's comfortable and To some degree, that. but also it's just years of marketing, right? Like mm-hmm. look, you look at, 
you look at some of these big brands, like where have they made most of their money in running shoes and in footwear? Mm-hmm. Nike Airs, right? Like sure. air pockets in the mm-hmm. in the heel, right? Yeah, now some, the carbon plates. Some type everything. of gel or whatever, right? Like it's all, we're going to add this new cushioning element mm-hmm. to the heel. Mm-hmm. And and now you see a lot more brands going with like a Biomogo, right? With just Brooks, right? Like, And it's all about the foam and the type of foam that they're using and less about the cushiony like gels or airs or whatever in yeah. the heels. And those are kind of going away out of the running scene. Mm-hmm. Um, they were big in the 80s and 90s, but we're starting to see them taper away, right? Yeah. So... Yeah, everybody's trying to do the plate, the carbon plate in a different way. Yeah. Right? Like the, you know, because when the the last few races I've seen, it's like when the 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 fly the flies came out, you see all the pink shoes, right? And then the next year, the next version, they have more of them in lime green and orange, and you start seeing like all of the like every runners, like the majority of runners are wearing them. Oh, color seasonality is yeah. like yeah. that's that's part of the science. Yeah, forward, but the, right? but like, it's just so interesting because then and then Kip, Kipchoge does the two hour marathon and his with the springs on the toe box, or, you know, or like under, and then it's like so it, it's crazy to think about where the shoe industry is going when it comes to running. Are we going to start seeing like these spring loaded freaking, you know? like stilts or something down the road or are we going are they going to get more simple and go with this where you're relying more on your foot shape and strength as it naturally works well i think yeah i think you're always gonna like every shoe company is going to be looking at what what's the technology that we can put into the shoe right like because as you look at as you look at footwear there's a number of key elements that you're looking at right like one is cushion, right? Like I want cushion, I want comfort, right? Like mm-hmm. that's where you see like the hokas of the world, right? They came after this max cushion element, mm-hmm. which Ultra was out there in the forefront of it as well. Even yeah. though we got bundled into this like minimalist shoe, we've had max cushion since early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but also then you look at rebound, right? Like, cause rebound is a big thing when you think about running, right? Because if my re- if my shoe can help me rebound faster, Mm-hmm. then that's going to increase my speed, right? Which is what you're talking about with Kipchoge and mm-hmm. some of these these things, right? Like that's why you put a carbon plate in the shoe mm-hmm. because carbon has high rebound, right? And and so, okay, what's the next te- technology that's going to help me rebound? Springs might be a little on the far reaching end. Yeah, <laughs> right? or I like, think there's the rules like, with like what you can actually race into, sure, right? Yep. That'll per- th- there'll be some limits there. Yeah. But it's yeah. like you you go like there's certain shoes that are banned from the NBA, right? Like mm-hmm. in basketball, you can't wear certain types of shoes mm-hmm. because they give you a very specified advantage. Running, you see the same thing, right? Like at least in the in the world marathons, right? Like mm-hmm. Boston, Chicago, yeah. London, right? Like you're gonna have and then definitely the Olympics, right? Like there's mm-hmm. gonna be specifications that are like yeah. you can't do this with your shoe. But then the other thing is weight, right? Like and if you start, and that's why carbon is so popular because it's high rebound, mm-hmm. but it's super lightweight. Totally. And and so if you start looking at spring-loaded systems and all of this, how do you keep the weight down mm-hmm. to to not offset the benefit of the of the rebound? Right. Like because mm-hmm. I've got to balance those elements between high rebound of my shoe versus. Okay, now instead of a six ounce shoe or a four ounce shoe, mm-hmm. I'm wearing a thirteen ounce shoe for yeah. a marathon, right? Like, yeah. 
That's yeah, and that's a lot. Over the course of 26.2, <laughs> that's a lot of weight, extra yeah, weight that you're carrying, right? Yeah. So, and for the average runner, that's not that big of a deal because, heck, we can all probably lose six ounces off of our bellies, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when you're talking about the world elites, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a big deal, right? Right. So... Yeah, those are like those little fine-tuning things they're dealing with. Yep. So back to you you working with Golden, your cousin, with his toaster oven. He historically had some experience watching his dad modify shoes. Yeah. So, but at the time, obviously, it's, I'm sure the, the technology and the shoe mark is different. Where was your knowledge at with running shoes when you came into this scenario? So my knowledge of running shoes at the time was I put them on my feet and I go out for a little jog, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it was it was extremely limited, right? Mm-hmm. Like whether it was an Asics, a Brooks, a Saucony, a Mizuno, like I don't know. Yeah. Gold, Golden and Hawk just tell me what to wear and mm-hmm. watch me run and say, okay, this one looks right enough. Like okay. go use this shoe. So, at least so that's what I'm hoping for at this point, right? Like give me an assessment. I've had these shoes for for a number of years now and I need I got to get back into shape I got to get back into running steadily mm-hmm. and I need something like right now the shoes I'm wearing are giving me knee pain and and it's got to be the shoes and my cousin's like well have you tried running on trails yes I'm smart enough to know that I can go run on softer surfaces and it should yeah. be better but it's not and he's like well let me show you what I've been working on right so so on his birthday in 2009 we're sitting there at his house and he's like hey like this is what I've concocted. Here's kind of the biomechanics. Here's why we do it this way. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. Kind of cool. Like, where do I buy a pair? He's like, well, let's see what they look like on you first. Like, let's try them out. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, let's go for a run. I said, I don't have any running clothes. I don't, I don't have any, like, I don't have these shoes. He's like, here, you wear my shoes. I will go grab you some running clothes. Like, let's go for a run. So we go out on like a three mile run together. Yeah. I'm wearing his hacked up, zeroed out shoes mm-hmm. and and we're running and he's like how's it feeling how are your knees i'm like oh yeah no i don't feel like i don't have any issues with my knees right like he's like hey let me run behind you for a little bit and watch your form mm-hmm. and so he's watching he's like yeah you're looking pretty good mm-hmm. and then we get to we get to halfway where we're going to turn around and he's like okay now switch me shoes it's like heck no dude i'm not taking these off my feet like yeah, you're this, liking I, like, them. <laughs> like I actually feel good running, right? Yeah. Like, like I feel like I'm I'm more fluid. Like I don't have knee pain. Like I'm not feeling anything in my lower back. Like I want like this feels good. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, well let's let's at least compare, right? Sure. He's wearing a traditional pair of running shoes, so we switch shoes and then we start running. And he's like, okay, now how's that feel? And I'm like, dude, my knees are clicking. And he's like, yeah, I can see your form is all jacked up now. Mm. And like, we hadn't gone through any form technique training or anything, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it was just the fact that I now had a shoe that wasn't impeding my my strike zone, right? Like, because I don't have this extra 12 millimeters catching me early as my foot stride comes through, right? So you hit on your heel because there's more material there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so... It makes total sense. And so now I'm sold. I'm like, okay, like, where do I get a pair? Like, who makes these shoes? He's like, well, you know, it's kind of an underground thing. We People that come in and ask for them at the running store, we give them a regular pair of shoes, and then we send them down to this cobbler here in Orem, this shoe cobbler. Mm-hmm. And then he takes a bandsaw, and he cuts them up and zeroes them out for them. I'm like, so you're telling me I got to buy a $100 pair of shoes 
And then I got to go spend another 20 to $40 to have some cobbler modify them for me. Yeah. <laughs> That's not, and it's not like, quite, okay, quite that, a science there either with the, that, yeah. The science was so, like with the cobbler, the cobbler was like, he's registered with Like he was okay. legit, right? Like All it was right. like him and Golden worked together to okay. just dial in. And I'm oh, like, so he okay. was doing this like, pretty often. I'm like, so how many people have you done this for? He's like, oh, we've done it for a couple hundred so far. Wow, okay. I was like, really? There's your demand. I'm like, really? Like, there's... That's and that he's one like, store. yeah, and, and we don't advertise. This is one store in Little Orem, Utah, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, we don't advertise it. People just come in because their friend had shin splints or whatever and came in and got these modified. And then they told their friend and their friend came in and they got them. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, what's the response? He's like, it's super positive. Wow. And so now I'm like, okay, I'm sold as a user. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, now there's some there's some market interest, right? Yeah. Okay, now explain to me like the science behind it. And he's he's majored in exercise science and physiology. He's done a lot of research into biomechanics and running form and Kenyans and all of this stuff, right? Like, yeah. And so he explains all the science, and I'm like, okay, like now it's backed by science. Like, why is nobody doing this? Why is there not a shoe company out there that's making a zero drop shoe? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know. The only thing I can tell you is it's 30 years of marketing, right? Like they yeah. don't want to flip the script, right? They don't want to go against what they've been doing because like we talked about, right? Like they're hinging their businesses on gel in the heel, air in the heel, extra foam, right? Like extra pat. like it's all about heel technology. If you look at, shoes through the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s, right? Like that's where their marketing dollars were going. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do about it? Is my question to him, right? He's like, well, you know, as people come into the store, we'll modify these shoes. I said, well, like, are you going to run with this? Like there's enough, sounds like there's a market, there's a potential here. Yeah. There's an opportunity. Like, what do you think? He's like, well, I don't know. I don't know that I like, I'm kind of happy with the running store. Like I'm going to, it's going to be mine someday, right? Like, yeah. said, well, let's start a shoe company. Yeah. And this is all the same day, right? Like, yeah. And I'm just brazen enough to throw it out there. And he's like, well, we don't know anything about manufacturing running shoes. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't care. We'll figure it out. Like, we will figure this out. And he's like, fine, dude, whatever, whatever. You you find a way to help to get us shoes manufactured, and then I'll come and I'll help you. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, deal. Okay. I'll figure it out. Yeah. And so neither one of us had any manufacturing experience. Mm-hmm. We had no connections in the industry, right? Like Golden and then our third partner that we brought in, Brian, both of them have kind of consulted lightly just as running store managers, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, on like other shoot, right? Like, Hey, you guys should do this. You should do that. But, but they've, they also pitched this idea previously to other brands at outdoor retailer. And they basically got laughed out of their booth. Like, no, nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to buy that. There's no market for it. Right. So, so apparently none of the big guys were coming in this space. Mm -hmm. What, how are we going to do this? So I jumped on LinkedIn and at the time I was running a 
social media marketing consulting company. Okay, this so is you, you have marketing background. Yeah, this yeah, is okay. in the early, like, bef- like, and I was also working as a financial advisor. So I was running okay. two jobs at the mm-hmm. same time, right? I was a registered investment advisor and I was trying to learn more marketing so that I could market my business. But then I kept running into regulation issues and mm. I was like, this isn't super fun. So I started a social media marketing agency back in the early, early days of Facebook, totally. right? Like Twitter. LinkedIn was was just kind of new, right? Mm-hmm. But so I jumped on LinkedIn and I I reached out to a couple of the groups that I was in. And I was like, hey, like I'm I'm looking at manufacturing a running shoe. Kind of left it super vague, right? Does anybody have any expertise or any context in that? And mm-hmm. one guy reached out to me. He's like, hey, like I've got this agency up in Portland mm-hmm. that that they take shoe concepts. And and they flush them out, right? Yeah, kind of what you guys do here at Kionics, sure. right? Yeah. But these guys were were specific in footwear. Cool. One of them was a former VP of Adidas. One was a oh, yeah. the head last maker of Nike. Another yeah. one was a. I mean, Portland's like a hot lead, spot for lead the cab designer yeah. for Adidas and for Columbia, right? Like, and so these guys had they got chops, right? Oh yeah. So their bird dog, their sales guy is the one that reached out to me and he's like, hey, I'm actually going to be in Utah in a couple of weeks at Outdoor Retailer. Mm. So so we set up a meeting in the lobby of the Marriott Hotel there right across from the yep. Salt Palace. And, and so Golden shows up with this bag full of hacked up shoes. Yeah. And, and we're sitting there with Jared and they're the liaison there for their company and showing him our idea. And he's like, okay, like this is legit. Like this is really interesting. You guys have a story too. Like you're not just a product. And Mm -hmm. like, let me talk to the team, kind of feel them out, see where their interest level is. So, so we're kind of sitting on pins and needles. Like, okay, is this thing going to go? Like what's going to happen? We've, we've kind of just put our eggs in this basket, right? Because we hadn't had any other contacts. There was nobody else that reached out. This was the one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, if this fizzles, like, okay, this was a fun dream and whatever, right? Like, mm-hmm. but but we were still like, okay, like, let's let's draft up. What does this look like? What is the opportunity? Like, and and at the same time, like, we're we're redefining the process at Runner's Corner, mm-hmm. the running store in Orem there and trying to, okay, like, we're going to market this a little bit more. Like we're going to throw a couple of these up on the wall. We're going to send out a survey with everybody. If they bring their survey back, we'll have runners corner the modified give them a, like a five or $10 gift certificate. You're putting the modified yeah, ones yeah. on the wall and selling them. Okay. Yeah. So you're selling, so, you're so selling. we're not selling modified shoes. We just okay. kept kind of a size run in sure. stock that people could try. And then we would sell them that shoe. And then by their own fruition, they could go sure. and get it modified. Because right? you like, can take we it I'm sure the, we the brands selling, wouldn't like that. We right? were not selling modified <laughs> okay. shoes, right? Like, yeah. like we were kind of marketing this idea, but we were not in the game of selling. We let people make their own choice. Yeah, Nike would not to, have liked that. No. no. So. <laughs> so that's cool. Yeah, that's a great way to like you got you got validation with your target customers happening at the same time as you know, I'm sure you're getting a good bit of input from people testing product as you're developing this. It's not like you're developing a prototype and you have no one giving you feedback. You're able right. to get feedback from your direct people using it, you're using it, you know, the running store people are using it. So you have pretty good, like, 
you know, resources wise to build something good. Yeah. And we had over, we had hundreds, if not a thousand plus surveys come back. Right. That's awesome. And, and majority, like 90 plus percent of those surveys were all positive, Mm -hmm. right? Like it was either I had shin splints and now Mm -hmm. I'm running, I don't have them, knee pain, back pain, like physical ailments. And obviously like we don't claim anything because we haven't done the double blind tests and stuff and all of that, right? Like ultra's not a surefire solution to all of this, mm-hmm. but just because of the positive feedback that we were seeing, it was like, okay, like that's validating this whole idea, yeah. right? So while we're waiting for the group up in Portland, we're out just trying to figure out, okay, how viable is this solution? Mm-hmm. We get a call back from them that like, hey, we're really interested. Can you guys make a trip up to Portland? So in September, so from July now to September, now we're now we're headed up to Portland. Mm-hmm. So we pack up Golden's car. We take this road trip up to to Portland, and yeah, and we've done that we, drive, like good ten hour drive. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you came up with a lot of good discussions and oh, value. Yeah. Lots <laughs> lots of good conversation yeah. going there for sure. We show up at the president's house, Gary's house, and. And he walks us into his office. He's like, hey, check this out. And he's already started printing a last concept. Cool. So this is like 2009, right? So early 3D printing days. Yeah, that's sweet. So so this is like my first look at a 3D printer. I was like, mm-hmm. dude, this is awesome. This is yeah. way cool. So he's printing the last when we first get up there. And what's the last? And so the last did? is, so if you take a shoe, right? Yeah. Like. The last is the mold that goes inside the shoe. So, mm, so mm. if you think of like a, fo- a shoe, co- if you walked into a shoe cobbler, you would yep. see a stand a post with like a metal thing hanging off the top. Yeah, it's like right? the wooden thing or whatever. But you it's can yeah, spread it's, out and it's wooden or or um, it's like a hard plastic, yeah. really. Now, right? So, like, but it, the, and your last, did you already have the toe box shape as part of that feature set? So that was that was a key element that we yeah. were, the, we wanted, right? Like mm-hmm. zero drop wasn't good enough, right? Sure. Like the shoe actually had to be shaped like a healthy foot. Yeah. And so we were drawing people's feet, tracing them, right? Like, okay, what does that look like? And and really trying to dial it in. And so like Gary and his team had kind of taken some sketches and some ideas, and so they had started printing it. And so by the f- by the first morning after we'd gotten up there, mm-hmm. we had a last that was already printed and ready yep. to like, okay, let's go. And then we go over to to Vlad, the other guy's house, who was the the last maker. He was the one that kind of designed the last. And but he had a full on like shoe manufacturing studio in his garage. Cool. Like all kinds of materials on shelves. He had sewing machines. He had rubber molders like he had everything yeah, <laughs> like, you found that like, you found the make people a, he, for it like we had a we had an upper fit test before mm-hmm. we left portland it was That's phenomenal sweet. it That's was awesome sweet. and then we were talking business with these guys and they were like they were in right like we want we love this we love the story we want to do something right sure. so so from that point we were we were off to the races starting to like tweak and make adjustments and, and figuring out the had, aesthetic and everything yep. too. And they yeah. had some contacts with, yeah, with China and with some factories over there. Yeah. So we got in conversations there and now, now we just hit the next roadblock, right? It's like, okay, like how are we going to pay for this? Right. 
And well, good so, thing you have an investment background, so, right? You, <laughs> an investment background in the sense of stocks and sure. mutual funds. Well, but you, I'm <laughs> but sure with that, you're connected with so, the, the people that do angel investing and stuff. Is that so, how you're able to find a... Or did you find we try, an angel We tried investor? some of those avenues, but none yeah. of them came to fruition. Like, yeah. Again, this is 2009, right? Yeah. So think about the landscape of the market. True. Like This is right in the midst of the recession, the yeah. 2008 recession, right? There like, are way more... And you know, protect their their guards up. Yeah. So so there was there was not a lot of not a lot of capital flying around at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked we we endlessly talked to a lot of people and mm-hmm. tried to find money wherever we could. Brian's dad put in some money. Like mm-hmm. Golden put in some money. Hawk didn't want to invest because he didn't want to just convolute between the store and the, sure. the shoe brand, right? Like, and that which totally makes sense and. But then we got we got connected to to an angel. We put together a pitch and we sat sat in his fan, living room with him and his wife and mm-hmm. gave one of the I would call it one of the worst pitches I've ever given. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, but and, you, at that point you had a prototype and everything, right? Uh, we had pictures, we had drawings, yeah, okay. we kind of had yeah. yeah, we had we had that one little upper right, like, but mm-hmm. it was it was very limited. Sure. But we had we had a vision, we had a dream, mm-hmm. we knew what we were we were gonna do. You had a survey and, results and data, like yep. you know, and retail background. There's validation there. I feel like you, when you're walking into a pitch, those are the types of things they look for to make sure you have some of those boxes checked. So that's pretty valuable. Yeah. So we we had the story, we had the data, right? Like we had a lot going for us, and but it was like. You know, well, any startup, right, is still a, it's always a risk, right? Like mm-hmm. throwing money at anything that mm-hmm. has no sales is always a Were risk. they a runner? He was a runner. He was okay. a triathlete. Okay. Um, and had been into the running store several times, right? Like we were introduced by his triathlon coach who was a mutual friend, right? And he actually was, was, in the same church congregation as Brian, and Brian mm-hmm. had been the scoutmaster for his boys. Okay, so, um, so now there was a personal relationship, right? Okay, um, that helps. And and so so we're sitting there giving this pitch, right? And and he turns to his wife and looks back at us, and he's like, "Okay, let us talk about it and think about it." And then, like the next few days, we're like, again, back to pins and needles, right? Like, okay, like what's what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, are we going to get some funding? Are we going to be able to keep this thing moving forward? Or do we just shut up shop and walk away? <laughs> yeah. And, and we got a call back from him. He's like, Hey, like we're in, cool. um, you tell us, you tell us what you need the money for, why you need it, how much you need. We'll write the checks. So it wasn't a flat investment. It was just sure. Over time, over time here, we'll invest the cash. Right. And great. And he wrote his first few checks before we even had an operating agreement in place. Okay. So <laughs> he, believed he, tr- in he believed in it, trusted in us enough, right? Yeah. And so that was solid. We finally put operating agreement stuff in place. And then we were off to the races, right? Mm-hmm. At the time, we were developing three shoes. Um, we wanted to have a road shoe, a trail shoe, and then stupidly, we made a minimalist shoe. Hmm. The Vibram five fingers were selling really well. So okay, we were like, that makes okay, sense. we can, we can kind of, we can make something like that without having to have the five toes. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and, and our shoe was very much like a Vibram five fingers, but without the five toes. Mm-hmm. And I think if it had released 
three, two years earlier, it would have done pretty well, right? Mm-hmm. But but the pendulum started to swing back a little bit by the time we got it released, right? So so we we started this project in 2009. Mm-hmm. It was a couple months later that Christopher McDougall released his book, Born to Run. Mm. Um, and that that book release kind of launched a, this surgence of barefoot running, right? Like the barefoot running movement came in 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. And by the time, like we launched The Instinct, our first shoe in March of 2011, Okay, so a couple um, years. So really almost to, a couple of years from yeah, the time that sense. we said, let's do this, to now we have an actual product, right? Mm-hmm. But then the Adam and Eve, which were our barefoot shoes. Yes, we had some fun with naming shoes, but yeah. those didn't release until, oh, probably late that year. So probably not until like October of 11. Okay. And so now it's kind of, in the realm of you're getting into winter time, mm-hmm. like, and then also the barefoot movement is petering out. People mm-hmm. are starting to find out that, okay, if I, they, had, a lot of people had TM, TMTS syndrome too much too soon. Oh. So they would go run barefoot, but they would oh, do yeah. way too, way more than they probably should have right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of foot injuries that were coming from mm-hmm. that. And then this kind of became a groundswell on blogs and stuff at the time. And so a lot of people shut down from barefoot running. That makes sense. And kind of got away from the minim- the more minimalist shoes mm-hmm. and wanted something with a little more cushion. And so we sold some, but at the end of the day, I think we had to end up clearing out a bunch at TJ Maxx and whatever. Okay. Um, yeah. But... Back to the other two shoes, right? The Instinct and the Lone Peak mm-hmm. were like, this This is actually, this is a redo of the of the original Lone Peak for the 10th anniversary of the Lone Peak. Wow. Um, so Ultra redid this. So this is just the trail running, very, right? Yeah. So just some very slight modifications from the original. Um, different foam, a um, little different rubber. But for the most part, it's, pretty identical to that original shoe. The men's one's right up here. What's this little Um, Velcro thing? We thought of stuff as like, we were all trail runners. We loved running on the trails. And so we thought of a lot of things as trail runners. And so when we made our trail shoe, we put a lot of certain things into it. So if you see this hook on the front, this little eyelet. So so a lot of trail runners don't want to get sand and dust and debris into their shoes. So they wear a gaiter. Oh, okay. And and so to attach a gaiter, you usually had to take an adhesive Velcro and put it on the back of your shoe so that gaiter would stick down on the back of your shoe. Mm. And so we were kind of going after um, the top selling gaiters at the time, like we were catering to them. So they have a hook up at the front to go on your shoelace. Well, we put an eyelet so it Very doesn't need smart. to pull at your shoelace. Mm-hmm. And then we put the Velcro pre-built in onto the back of the shoe. The other element of this shoe that was unique was we put what we call the trail rudder, which is this little extra rubber piece off the back end. So when you're descending down steep terrain, there's a little extra grab on the heel there. Oh, that's smart. To give you a little more extra traction to keep you from falling back on your butt. That makes sense. Um, It did become a little problematic for some because if you run in the sand, it tends to catch sand and kick it up and... Oh, okay. Hit the back of your yeah. legs. So there were some people that liked to cut it off or whatever. But that was the thinking behind what we did it. 
why we did. And then if you look at the way we designed the lugs, right? Like all your uphill traction lugs up in the front and your downhill traction lugs in the back. So just the way that those chevrons are placed allows you to have more traction going up and coming down. And and then on the side of the shoe... Certified shoe experts. Like they're very well thought out, right? (laughs) Yeah. Put Golden and Brian in a room and let them talk about shoes and they'll come up with all kinds of ideas, right? Like, And we wanted to incorporate a lot of that in. And we, we named all of our trail shoes off of mountains along the Wasatch Front. And so we had we had the Lone Peak, we had the Timp, mm-hmm. Timpanogos, right? And then we had the Superior, mm-hmm. um, and then we and then we stretched it out a little further and went to the Uinas and released a King okay. um, for King's Peak, right? Yeah. But on the side of the shoe, there's a mountain outline as well, mm-hmm. and that's this one. This one's a lo- lot more simplified design than the original. But on the original, it was a direct silhouette of Lone Peak. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at Lone Peak, you have that little notch on the top. And yeah. so that's what it was like on the original. So so we we tried to put as much fun into the to the shoe design as we as we possibly could and have some have some good fun with it. So Yeah. That's great. I mean, those are those the origin stories are always so uh fun to look back to. And think about, and I've heard some interesting like origin stories, but that's like a good one. That's a very organic, yeah, origin story. And we did it organically, right? Like, yeah. you, you like let, we were naturally... we were out there, we were out there dropping hints on blogs, reaching out to some of the more followed bloggers, right? Like, again, this is pre Instagram days, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, in this is the early days of influencers was bloggers, right? Yeah. Like, so and, the, and then the gap between 2009, when you're a prototype, you're raising funds, all that type of stuff, and then getting to market. What challenges did you work through on the manufacturing level? You know, were you were you going out to China and Golden going to China working with these factories? Were you relying on the agency to do that? Like how to, how did that go in the sampling and the refinement at the factory level? Yeah, so we were relying primarily on the agency. Mm-hmm. Um, so we so we were working with an agent. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they, they lined us up with the factories over there. And so it was primarily working through them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would get prototypes, we'd get fit tests and go through that. Golden was more in charge of the product side of things. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so he'd be able to talk to that more, but, and I know, let's see, I'm trying to think if Golden made any trips to China before we launched. Like, I know he's been there a couple of times since, but mm-hmm. I don't believe we made any physical trips out to China mm-hmm. before we got our first batch of shoes. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that makes so, sense. Usually, um, it's like you do a few runs, then you go and to build the relationship yeah. and keep the you know momentum going with the factory. You know? Yeah, yeah. So that's great. Still working with the same factory? Have you kind of evolved, grown out of it? You're no, fine. they've they've switched factories a few times, yeah, right? So, that's usually that, what happens. As I haven't been involved with Ultra now for five years okay. since VF acquired them in 2018. Mm-hmm. So, so what VF Corp's done since then, I, I can't speak to where the manufacturing's sure. gone from there. But obviously, they've they've been in shoes with Vans and others and mm-hmm. North Face, et cetera, right? So they've mm-hmm. had strong relationships. And so whether yeah. they've moved to some of their own personal factories or what they've done, I'm not exactly sure. So so one of those things that I'll see commonly with with founders and entrepreneurs is they're working through 
the development of a product, they don't, they don't share it or they're afraid to get the word or like to get input and put it in people's hands. I like that, you know, you're surveying people, you're, you're putting these, you know, test shoes on people and getting feedback. What did, what did you do from a marketing standpoint, like a pre-launch standpoint before you launched with, you know, the samples you're receiving, are you putting those on runners and having them do marathons and stuff? What were you doing in that time frame when it came around the launch? Our approach was twofold, right? Like in the running shoe business. So, so obviously Golden comes from a running store background, right? Like he started working in the store when he was nine years old, right? Like, and, and Brian started working there when he was 15 or whatever. And, in high school. And, and so both of them come from a specialty runs, run space background. And then Brian also went on to manage a couple specialty outdoor shops and, and do some things there. And so, so our first and foremost was we were going to cater to specialty, right? Mm -hmm. Like we were, the way we were going to set the trend, the way we were going to get in was we got to get into specialty running stores. And so we made a concerted effort to reach out to key stores. There was a, the owner of Playmakers up in Lansing, Michigan was kind of on this running form kick and pushing some things there. And and he was he was one of the most well-respected running store owners in the country. And he we actually had him fly out to Utah, come spend some time with us, um, run in our mocked up, hacked up shoes, right? Sure. And, yeah. And give us feedback on some of the prototypes early on and and so we were we were trying to get this organic groundswell of, amongst run specialty really, and then in 2010 we went out to the the top run specialty like trade show conference, which is called the running event. It's held in Austin every every winter, and and we we scraped up the funds to go there and put shoes on a lot of like we flew in probably 60 pair between men's and women's of the instinct so that we could have samples there. And yeah, we just started passing out catalogs, yeah. telling, telling everybody we're here. And we probably, we probably wrote and opened up 20 to 30 doors there. Um, For, before you even had, before your we even had yeah, that's fantastic. products. So, and then, and then last minute we got a table at outdoor retailer here in Salt Lake and, we were literally in like a four by six corner tucked in there. And it's, it's fun. Like people that were at that first show, like our Japanese distributor came from that first outdoor retailer and we've been crushing it in Japan ever since. Like, that's cool. And so that's been a great market for us, but we'll laugh with him and right. Like he's like, I remember when you guys were in this little table stuck in the corner, right? And we had one banner. Yeah. And, and so we we really pushed hard through that channel. And then on the consumer side, we were we were just out trying to do what we could, right? Like reaching out to bloggers. We lined some people up that we could send some product to, right? Um, and and we had some people here locally that that were kind of bought in on on the idea. We'd talk about it a lot on Facebook and in Facebook groups and and like to not to say that there wasn't some fear, right? Like I think there's always fear mm -hmm. that the big boys are going to come and squelch you out regardless yeah. of what product you're making. And and I I wish that we could all just overcome that fear, right? Because I I think it's so unfounded most of the time. Yeah. Like I'm 
I just started listening to No Rules Rules, mm. the kind of the Netflix culture story, right? And and it intros with Netflix's story of Reed and sitting there in Blockbuster, right? Like, like here we'll sell you this business and we'll just come run your e-com, right? Like, and and Blockbuster had this chance to buy it for fifty million dollars, right? And Reed and his team would have been happy, like, okay, let's take that and walk away, but. But that was the number they wanted and Blockbuster laughed them out of the room and sent them away. Mm-hmm. But Blockbuster never was able to come after Netflix, right? Like they could have tried to incorporate it themselves. They could have tried to copy it, mm-hmm. but they don't. Nike never came after us. Mm-hmm. Saucony, Mizuno, Adidas, Asics, right? Like these guys never copied us. And we're now thir- 12 years since Ultra launched. Mm-hmm. And 14 years since we started this project, mm-hmm. we gave up a lot because we were fearful of that, right? Like early on, we felt like we needed more money and we needed to. And so, so even before we launched, we ended up selling out. Mm-hmm. And, and so we went through an acquisition early on, which is great. Okay, we went through an acquisition. Wait, when did that but happen? That was So we got acquired literally two weeks before we launched our first shoe. I didn't know that. So Icon... Fully acquired? You yeah, do like fully, a PE it deal? Was fully acquired. So really? Icon, Icon Health and Fitness acquired us. I didn't, that's crazy. And Wait, so we were we were then brought in, in as employees and we okay. continued to run the brand. Yeah. Like we, we built the brand, we ran it, we worked with their resources, right? Mm-hmm. Which was a struggle sometimes, right? Like mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to move this battleship. Mm-hmm. So... Did you get to keep some chips on the table or did they take all the chips? They took all the chips. Oh, wow. So. Do you look back and regret that? Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's. Because, and a lot of it was founded on this fear, right? Like we, we need, we felt like we needed to get a big investment or partner with a billion dollar company Mm -hmm. that could invest a lot of money into our growth so that we could grow fast. And absolutely, right? Like, did Ultra grow faster because we partnered up there? Oh, sure, yeah. For sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. But if we'd have done it more organically, if we'd have done it more of a slow burn, like, what does that look like today? Like, that's a pretty rosy picture for the three of us, right? get, Get a few years under the belt and then do like a you know, more like a PE deal where you sell yeah. 60% to them and then let them take over while you still keep chips on or whatever. Yep, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, that's so. a, I didn't realize that that's a, that's a big decision. But I could also see, you know, two and a half years or whatever of grinding before revenue and then you get an offer and the offer must have been good enough for you to take it, right? Where it's like, well, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good ROI. <laughs> Right, that's a tough. That's a tough position to be in. No, it's it's a it's a tough position for sure, and it's like and at, at that point, right? Even a salary sounds nice. Yeah. Like and the, the completely de risk for you, you, the families, all that type of stuff, right? I'm sure that had to be part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so between Brian and I, right? Like we both had wives and kids, and yeah, Golden was still a bachelor at the time, so mm-hmm. he could have floated it, but he was the one pushing probably harder to do the deal. But mm-hmm. it secured us in this way that at least like, okay, now we know we have some financial backing to build this brand. Yeah. Um, in a big I, way. I'm often asked, like, if, if you could go back and do it differently, would you? I don't know that I would do it differently because of all the things that I've learned because of it. Mm-hmm. But if I was to do it again, absolutely, I would do it differently. Okay. Like, I would not, I would not 
Yeah. I would not put all my chips on the table. I would not have that fear, right? Like, and I think a lot of it at the time was just founded by this fear of like, okay, if we do this organically, if we do this slow burn, right? And mm-hmm. and just grow it gradually, then then what happens, right? Like mm-hmm. if if New Balance says, you know what? Alter's starting to get a little bit of traction. We want to go copy that. Like we yeah. we had some fear of that, right? Yeah. Here we are a dozen years later and it still hasn't happened. Yeah. Right. And so like they were definitely unfounded. And I think and I think a lot of times those fears are unfounded. And and we need to be careful to not let to not let fear dictate what our future could be. Right. Yeah. So we unfortunately let fear dictate what our future could be. Mm-hmm. And it hurts, right? Like it yeah. hurts to just think about it and talk about it. Sometimes. Well, sometimes <laughs> that right. that ignorance though too, it's like um, you know, like the very young founder they don't have much experience and they don't and they don't have that fear and that gives them such a huge advantage because they they don't know what they don't know and then part of what they don't know is the fear and the bad things that can happen you know so they grind through it and they sometimes dodge it without even knowing they're dodging it whatever it might be so that's uh yeah it's a good point so so then you you've been basically do you still work there and you still employed by Ultra? No, or so I haven't th- been involved with Ultra since 2018. So that's after so, another acquisition. So then yeah. the, they got sold to another company. Yep. And then you stepped down then. Yeah. So, like. Yeah. So VF VF acquired Ultra from Icon mm-hmm. in 2018. Mm-hmm. And that's that's when I completely left. So Yeah. So that's I mean it's it's built such a it's like a you know, it's a big brand to be proud of and it's a cool origin story you know no, it's, it's awesome like, it was it like, was awesome it was a lot of fun for yeah. those for those nine years right like being part of this directly part of it right like it's been a blast and it's the last the last few years watching the brand has been a little tough like the leadership the president of the brand that they had just was was not as keen on differentiation mm-hmm. and and those things came from a background of other running brands and just was kind of developing a me too. The story was kind of me too. And Starting some to of those follow things a lot were, of the, uh, are they following a lot of the other trends that you're talking about with like the foam and everything. Is that starting to happen? No, mm-hmm. thankfully they've still kind of kept to the foot shape and the zero drop. Okay. But, um, so that's been good, mm-hmm. but, but they did just get a new president here within the last few months. Mm-hmm. So she comes over from smart wool and oh. brings, brings a good female perspective as mm-hmm. well as just kind of some other outdoor experience and that. And so I think, I think we'll see, like I, I'm already seeing some of this story come back, right? Like some of these, these good things come back into play. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm excited to see where she can take the brand and where the next evolution of the brand goes mm-hmm. because she'll, I think she'll give a lot more finesse and care and, and appreciation to, to the brand ethos and what it is and sure and what ultra should be right instead yeah. of instead of just another running shoe brand that is all about profit margins mm-hmm. so yeah that's an interesting story i've never heard uh, to, the fact that you sold before getting to market it just blows my mind that's pretty uh that's crazy it is crazy. It's probably not the smartest to see, right? Like, it's, well, but at the but, time, but the time it might have been, right? Like, <laughs> that's the thing is, it's like where, where you were at ten years ago versus now. You know, the decisions that I would have made 
on various things six, seven years ago or eight years ago, it's like compared to now, it's just so different. Do you know what I mean? Oh, so for if an sure. offer yeah. like that came to me, yeah, like derive my home goods company, like I think looking back and thinking, well, if I were to get an offer, like right after I launched my Kickstarter, would I have taken it for a couple million bucks? I probably would have taken it that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. But right now I'd be like, screw you, that's offensive. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but yeah, that's cool. So what... um are you working on anything else now? What have you been doing since Ultra? So since Ultra, I've been kind of consulting with some brands. I've worked for a couple of brands in the product space. Um, in shoes or other? other... Not, not in shoes. I'd love to get back to shoes or outdoor, right? Like mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to be back in that space. But um, but I've helped a, a SaaS startup um, called Cinch, which is a marketing automation okay. software. Yeah. And and I've hel- I helped consult a little bit with them and and helped get them to launch phase and mm-hmm. and work through that. I've spent I spent some time going back to school to finally get my bachelor's and get a master's cool. degree. And yeah. And then in 2020, I started a marketing automation agency. So we we go in, consult with companies and also execute and implement on marketing e- email, SMS, a lot of those strategies. And and we're experts in that field and yeah. experts in getting just elements and marketing pieces put into play and mm-hmm. making sure that companies are telling the right story. Like I've built a brand, I've successfully launched it. I've helped other brands and mm-hmm. helping just optimize the story. Like what is what is it really that makes your brand valuable, right? Like right now I'm working with, with a tea company that's based in Virginia that's kind of Indian born, loose leaf tea. And we're just really trying to hone in there their story. It's called Tina Roo. And they're they're super interesting and exciting because it's different. It's not just another like mm-hmm. celestial tease or whatever sure. on the shelf. Right. Yeah. So having fun working with brands. And I'm yeah. I'm, I'm I yeah. love I love helping companies solve their problems mm-hmm. and and just find find the pieces to just be connecting the dots, right? Like how do we get you from point A to point B, mm-hmm. um, whether that's an e-com or whether it's, okay, what do we need to do to get you into retail? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. What, do, what do we need to do to optimize your supply chain, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've been involved in all of it. And sometimes I wonder if it's a detriment that I know enough about so much, mm-hmm. but <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it's, yeah, having having started a company, right? Like you learn so many things because you're into everything and you have to be into everything, right? Mm -hmm. And even though Golden was primarily running on the product development side and Brian was primarily running on the sales side, like I knew enough about those areas, right? Like, But then I was the one doing everything else, right? Like operations, marketing, IT, right? Like that was all on me. And well, you're still part of the conversations, and and yeah. absolutely, yeah, and that's and so valuable. So yeah, or you you're you're sitting by the side of someone learning it, so inevitably you learn it too, pretty much, because yeah. you're watching them, you know, go through failures and successes. No, and, and I've it, sat in enough trade shows, that. and I've gone into enough retail, right? Like yeah. one of the coolest stories is right after we launched, right? Like right after the acquisition, we got our first shoes. They they finally showed up. 
We put Brian's Thule box on the top of his Subaru. We crammed that thing full of run of boxes of shoes. Mm-hmm. And then him and I hit the road. Mm-hmm. And, and we just, we drove out I-80 and started staying in cheapo, crappy motels and made, <laughs> just hitting um, running stores. And we just hit running stores. We, and we, we were talking with potential sales reps along the way, yeah. right? Like we spent time in Chicago with a sales rep. We spent time up in Michigan with a sales rep. We, and we, and then we drove out to the Boston Marathon mm. and, and that was our first kind of foray into things. Cool. Like we were, we had a little 10 by 10 booth at the Boston Marathon in 2011. And that was really our launch, right? Like that's where we were. And I wonder if, I think my, I think my wife did 20. No, she did. I th- she was there the year of the bombing. Yeah, so 2013. She heard the bombing. So I, I was, think she might have done 2011 as well. I was there as well. That was another crazy story, right? But I'll like, ask her about that. That's but, cool. But even though, like, and this is the this is the crazy thing I look back at, right? Like, like we were so frugal mm-hmm. and we were so responsible with money, right? Like, even after we were acquired. Mm-hmm. While the executives of this billion dollar company were flying business class and they were mm-hmm. they were staying in the the suites, the Marriott's and whatever, sure. right? Like Brian and I were price lining cheapo one to two star hotels mm-hmm. along this dingy route on I eighty. Yeah, even though it was and, on their dime at the time. <laughs> and it was on their dime, right? Like, but we were like, we were so frugal and we were so like we just wanted to be profitable from day one, right? Like we wanted to make this thing work. And when in reality, right, looking back, we we could have stayed at least in in a residence inn, right? Yeah, like, yeah, that's funny. Instead of the travel lodge yeah. in in yeah. wet Michigan City, yeah. Indiana, like sure. getting woken up at 2 a.m. because mm-hmm. some drug deal was going down. <laughs> That's crazy. Parking lot. It's a great, uh, one of those great startup memories. But then Brian, Brian submitted that, <laughs> submitted that mileage expense report. And that, that definitely went down in icon lore for sure. Mm. It's the longest miles expense report. Cause yeah. he, cause so we drove all the way out to Boston and then he dropped me off at the airport in New York on the way back. And I flew home from New York and he continued his drive down the East Coast and into Texas mm. and then back up oh, wow. into Utah. And so yeah. he he circumnavigated the, the whole US, right? Yeah. Like hitting running stores. Hitting running stores, yeah. working with sales reps, right? Cool. Like and so that was a lot of miles. That's a lot. <laughs> is it? Is it Subaru, so is the shoe industry then pretty uh, rep based? Is it similar to like other outdoor products? Yeah, 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 definitely in the in outdoor and run specialty, it's mm-hmm. it's all rep based, right? Like yeah. most most brands use independent reps. Some use internal, mm-hmm. um, but it is it's very rep heavy, right? So yeah, so, so finding those right relationships of reps that were that had experience, that had chops, and that were willing to take us on, right? Like that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, we got some really good ones early yeah. on. Uh, we got lucky. Yeah, because I so I've been um I know like the apparel industry is something I learned recently. I interviewed uh for all the the two girls, their golf company. Have you heard okay. of them? Yeah, yeah. And they were explaining to me how 
they have their set packages they sell to a retailer, a boutique retailer, where it comes with this many sizes, this many SKUs, and it's pre-packed up, like ready to go. Is the shoe industry similar where you have, like you have package one, two, and three, and they're different sizes? Or do you have to custom tailor a purchase with the number of sizes of each SKU and so on and so forth? We would typically do like minimums, right? So you would get certain breaks at certain minimums, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you ordered certain quantities, but really we kind of left it up to the running store, but right, because because in especially with shoes, like feet are so different, right? Yeah. Like in different parts of the country are different, right? Like There's so many sizes. Some, yeah. And and that's the that's that's one big thing that a lot of people don't understand, right? Like jumping into a footwear company. It's hard. It's is got, hard. Out of because, any of the like, apparel and footwear to me, it sounds so much more difficult than like making a bunch of baby toys and bags and stuff, <laughs> right? So that's why I'm always like yeah, that's uh, that's tough. See, I'd agree, except I, I feel like apparel's got to be easy. Like, I mean, it still like, has the sizes, but also, but you're like only body dealing, shapes. But you don't have to stuff. deal with tools. Like, True. Yeah, you like, can just die. You're just stamping stuff out pretty much. Yeah. Sewing it together, cutting. So, yeah, that's fair. So, so yeah, the and, shoe size, the, the I, foot like, bases, and everything. but but shoes, like like we had we had an outsole tool yep. for the rubber, right? Like we yep. had a midsole tool. Yep. Right, and then you've got the upper, and well, you've got you the you've dual, got the last, and you've dual got shot rubbers, right? Or yep. is that the, yeah, that's done in one one pump? It's more like so compression is, molding, right? Yeah, this is a single molded. This yeah. is a full molded outsole, right? But okay, but like, but you've got different tools for that, mm -hmm. right? And then every tool you've got to have every full size up, mm -hmm. right? And then you've got to have a, a new last for every half size, mm -hmm. and so you think about a stand a standard run of shoes on the women's side, you're looking really five to 12 mm -hmm. and you probably don't have an 11 and a half mm -hmm. and you, and, and like we didn't come out with 12s until probably a year, year and a half into the business on a women's side. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then you might do a four and a half. You might not, you might not do a five and a half. You might just go five, six, and then every half size mm -hmm. up through 10 and then maybe an 11 and yeah, then maybe a, a 12. Yeah, that's a lot of tools. How many tools is that? So, that's like but, 12 tools or something, right? Yeah, and then, and then you've got on the men's side as yeah. well, right? Like for men's, you might go down as low as a seven. Yeah. Maybe you started, like we started out of the gate at an eight and I think we went eight, nine, nine and a half, 10, 10 and a half, 11, 11 and a half, 12, 13, and then eventually we added a 14. Mm -hmm. um, and that's two tools each. And so you've got an so outsole tool, tool and a midsole tool. And, the rubber tool. tool. and then you've got a last for each, right? Like, mm -hmm. And so it's not... And then we were doing three styles of shoes yeah. to come out of the gate with, right? Yeah. And it's not cheap. That's not cheap at all. Yeah, it's, exp it's an expensive it's project it's a, it, to start. Well, then so. you're going against like giants too. That's yep. the other thing. It's like in the, in the shoe store... I mean, going against Nike and, and Adidas, like you're saying, it's like... Well, their marketing budgets are... Huge. More, their marketing budgets were more than what our total revenue for yeah. the year and, was, And it's right? hard, like, like it's, a lot of loyalists too, right? Like there's a lot of loyalists to the brands and well, everything. That's, and that's the thing about uh, shoes, right? Like mm -hmm. especially running shoes specifically mm -hmm. is a, getting somebody to switch shoe brands or mm -hmm. even shoe styles... Mm -hmm. is really hard, right? Like your wife's a runner. She probably is running the same style she, of shoe. She mixes it up. Does she mix she, it up? She trains in Brooks. She, you know, the races she does use like the Zoom flies and, you know, she'll get her racing shoes. Yeah. Um, but she'll, 
she'll have, I've seen her try Adidas for training, you know, Nikes. I saw her, she uh, had a pair of Sauconies recently that she trained through. So uh, yeah, she she tr- shops, tries okay. a different variety. So she's, I wouldn't it's say different. she's an anomaly, but... The, yeah, it's different. The, yeah, A lot of the things we would get, right? Like the, the number one thing I would hear at a trade show, right? Or at a, like a, a running event, right? Like go mm-hmm. to the, go to an expo at a marathon is somebody would come and they'd show me their shoes. They're like, I love these. I love these. You aren't going to change them, are you? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. because they'll talk and then they'll all have a story to share, right? Like, oh, I loved, I loved the Brooks launch version four because it was, it just fit my foot. It was so good. But then when they came out with the five and it just didn't feel the same. So I went to my running store and I bought every single pair of Brooks Launch fours that they had in my size. Yeah. And I had like seven in my closet, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and because people just, they fall in love with a certain style of yeah. shoe. And they burn through them. And then they they just want that style, right? Like, yeah. that's what my foot's used to. That's what I'm used to. That's what I want, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and so we would get that all the time, right? Yeah. Like, and, and that's, it's hard, it's hard to get people to switch brands. Mm-hmm. But once you get them to switch, right? Like, it's kind of like formula brands, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a reason why you get the free bag of goodies from Enfamil in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Because if they can get you to get your baby using Enfamil, then you're not going to switch to Similac sure. or to whatever else, yeah, right? Same like, with like dog they, food, they, right? They got you hooked, right? Yeah. Same with dog food, whatever, right? Like yeah, it's why Apple goes after college students so hard, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I can get you using Apple products while you're in college, when you're most likely going to be committed to a device, mm-hmm. you're never going to switch. Yeah, makes sense. And it's, and it's the same thing in running shoes. And so what does that do to your to your customer lifetime value? Skyrockets, yeah. right? Like, and that's, and you think about it from a marketing standpoint, right? Like running shoes and apparel is kind of similar, but mm-hmm. but running shoes is like, the, it's this beautiful mix. It's why brands spend so much to acquire a customer mm-hmm. in the running space because, because I... I can sell you a $130 pair of shoes, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm willing to spend $150, $200 to acquire you as a customer. Yeah. Because once I get you in as a customer, mm-hmm. you're going to come back and you're going to buy four to six pairs of shoes from me every year. Yeah. Especially if you're doing like, you know, like 50 mile weeks, you yeah. know, training. And, and Kelsey too, she alternates daily because so the foam can rebound a little bit. So right. she's buying... Two pairs at so a time. So you usually have two pair that you're yeah. that you're she cycles between, between them, yep. and she gets her. And then if you go do trails at all, then you've new. got a trail shoe. And then sure. if you race, you've got your racing flat, yeah. right? Like, yeah. And that's a lot. That's a good. A that's a good. Uh, you know, yeah. Lifetime value is big there. Yeah, yeah. Especially with like a good price point item versus like, um, you know, our the bath mat company, uh, Durai. Like, we have we, our goal is to make them profitable first purchase. So with acquiring the customer, free shipping, all that stuff. So it's like, you know, $90 price point. If we weren't doing that and in lifetime value, our our average order value is like 130 bucks, you know? So usually they throw in like an accessory or whatever. And then the other thing, well, and then when it comes to lifetime value, we're creeping like, you know, 300 bucks or so, which is great, you know, but yeah, you know, how many bath mats can you have? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Or how many dish pads? And usually it ends up becoming something they gift to people and stuff. And that's right. the value add. So 
yeah, running industry, hard industry to get into, hard to compete with, but it makes sense as a, it's it's a good industry to be in when it comes to customer loyalty and yeah. Yeah. No, it's huge. Once you're there, it's, it's great. Right. Yeah. Like, and I look at, I look at a lot of these companies that like apparel, apparel companies want to do shoes. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, because it is, it's an added, it's a value add, right? Like, but if you don't do shoes right, yeah, then it, then okay. Especially and, a performance athletic shoe, running right. shoe, work weightlifting shoe, whatever, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's just so costly to get in, and there are ways to cut corners. Mm-hmm. Like you can go and you can take a last off the shelf in China, right? Like mm-hmm. somebody's already developed a last, or it's just a standard last, right? Mm-hmm. And you can probably come and piggyback on somebody else's tools, right? That are mm-hmm. to be retired or whatever, and sure. and you can probably do stuff like that to really save some money, but you're not innovating. Yeah, or right? you're not like going to be a quality brand that keeps loyalty. You're just no. going to be someone looking for a cheap shoe and they'll buy it once, yeah. and then. Maybe they'll upgrade to a nicer one. They realize they like running. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've personally, I'll run like, you know, a couple times a week, and I'll do like a couple miles. I'm not like a big runner, you know. But I've, I've, I have used Brooks shoes in the past, and they're 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 pretty good, you know. I I, I think the thing I like about them is that they just focus on running, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. like you guys have right like yep. you, when you when you they focused on that niche and the ones that i've liked are those the their glycerins because of the my i don't have knee pain anymore with them but to your point it wasn't the shoe that got rid of my knee pain it was me working with a triathlon trainer and my 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 fitness trainer and figuring out my you know my hips positioning my, you know, my, how far forward yeah. I'm leaning and my, my strike and all that stuff. No, and the end that of it, changed it, not the shoe, you know? And yeah. so, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting because I, I want to try these and see if I, how that affects it as well. Because now that I figured out my running form. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and at the end of the day, so much of it just comes down to form, right? Sure. Like, and to how you run the, and the thing that, I don't know that we necessarily expected, but kind of anticipated maybe a little bit, mm-hmm. was the number one thing that people loved about our shoes wasn't the zero drop. Mm-hmm. It was the foot shape. Yeah, makes sense. And, and now looking back, right, like it's total sense, right? Like, yeah. and it wasn't an afterthought that we did it, right? Like it was, it was very thought out. It was very, mm-hmm. very on purpose, right? Like we we were not going to come out with a tapered toe box, right? Like, mm-hmm. because the problem is, is now you're pinching your toe in, right? Totally. Like, and and your feet don't have the ability to display. Mm-hmm. It causes more fatigue. It can cause plantar fasciitis. Yeah. It can cause some of these other issues, right? But by opening up that toe box, it allows that big toe to splay out more, mm-hmm. gives your foot more room. More stable. And a lot more stable, a little more power coming off the toe, right? But but just overall more comfort. Yeah. And so the slip in feel is awesome. Mm-hmm. And and the what like the one thing that as we look at Ultra and kind of the consumer base was yeah, we catered to runners and we were a running shoe brand, but but we captured a lot of off the couchers, right? Like mm-hmm. people that that just couldn't walk or very far because of their shoes or whatever and mm-hmm could now start, like, I remember 
I remember, what was this? The 2011 Ragnar, I think. 2012 Wasatch back Ragnar. We had, we had a couple of super fans and... And they would they'd bring everybody they knew by our booth, right? Like we had they had this little tent, Ragnar, and and Matt brings his parents by, and he's like, "Hey, you guys, check these out! Like, I've fallen in love with these shoes. You guys should check them out." And and they bought a pair. They, him, his mom and his dad had bought a pair from us, and and then the next year we were at Ragnar, and they came at the finish line, and they're like, "We just ran it." They weren't runners the year before. Wow. And they're like, cool. yeah, we just did it. We had the, we were on our son's team. Like, we just ran it. And and they started by just going out and walking. And it could be more comfortable walking. And and they got back into shape and they started running. And and then they did Doing Ragnar runs, together, yeah. right? Like, yeah. And and it was stories like that that was like, okay, like, well, this is all worth it, right? Like, I don't care how much money I make. I don't care what the like what the story like this is why, right? Like, this is why we started Ultra. This is why we did it. And this is why Ultra exists. That's great. And, That's great validation. And it was, it was awesome. And that was like, like we really wanted, we, we kind of had two major marketing approaches, right? Like, like one, we wanted to be the authority in all things running. And so we're, we're not just going to talk about running shoes. We're like in our, in our, emails, in our social posts, in, in our ads. And like we went, we started just before I left, we were trying to really put on like a national tour. Mm-hmm. Like I was trying to build that. I kept getting the kibosh from upper management sure. with Icon, but, but I really wanted to do it. And we tested it out in like five cities, but we did this, this series called Run Talks. Mm-hmm. I think you can still find them on YouTube, but we partnered up with Runner's World Mm-hmm. And and then we would park, partner up with local running stores around the country, and we would bring in a Runner's World writer, editor, mm-hmm. and some local like science person or nutritionist or fitness or whatever, right? Like, and we would do these series called Run Talks, and and it was really cool. And there was like, we were starting to gain some interest around it, but it was really around this concept of we wanted to be the authority in all things running, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're going to talk about nutrition. We're going to yeah. talk about running plan. We're going to talk about apparel. We're going to talk about all these things that don't necessarily have to do with running shoes mm-hmm. because we felt like if people were more educated about running and how to run and how to run better, they're going to run more and they're totally. going to need shoes to do it, right? Yeah, like, they're going to remember who taught and, them that trip. That right. tip or trick that yeah. helped them not bonk on a run because they got the right nutrition or whatever, right? Absolutely. So, <laughs> so that was that was cool. marketing approach number one, right? And then our second marketing approach was was we kind of took the Pepsi approach of don't drink water, right? Like, like Pepsi knew that they could never chip away at going directly at Coke, right? And so their CEO came in. He said, "Okay, like." If I can, I can't get you to stop drinking Coke to drink Pepsi, but can I get you to stop drinking water and get you to drink Pepsi? Mm. And so it was the 90s or 2000s. I don't remember when they kind of pushed this, but but I've read a few stories about it, right? But their idea was, okay, like we're going to get you to not drink water, right? Mm. And And so the concept of that kind of hit me and it's like, okay, well, maybe I can't get runners necessarily to change their running shoes, 
But can I get non-runners? Can I get walkers? Can I get these individuals to change the shoes? Because they're not as loyal to shoes as hardcore runners are, right? If I can get just the average like weekend or 5K or right, then Mm -hmm. it's not as crucial to them what shoe they are. Because it's going to be really, it's, it's hard to crack the marathon circuit. Sure. We did it, but yeah. it's hard to crack it. Yeah. But if I can get you that's trying to do your first 5K or 10K mm-hmm. to come and get a pair of ultras, great. There we go, right? Like, yeah. And so that was another foot, right? Like, so we went hard after that market and we tried to approach that's, that market. That's a really smart hard, approach. So. Um, plus, we just crushed it in the trail running, right? Like, so like Ultra, and, Ultra and Hoka are probably now the two top trail running shoes mm-hmm. in the market, right? Yeah. And and we knew how to own that. We like that's our background, right? Like you look right out our offices when we started in Orem, Utah, right? Like we literally placed our offices at the old Word Perfect campus because I could be to a trailhead in five minutes running, yeah. right? Like, and I could I could access miles of trails, mm-hmm. right? Like we were purposely placed there. Yeah. And because we we love yeah, natural surfaces, about it. right? Like, yeah. and so so it was really easy for us to build the trail side of things and to put a lot into developing awesome trail shoes, and mm-hmm. and we did, and we crushed it, and we had a lot of fun doing it. So, what are some uh, some some takeaways you'd give to other entrepreneurs and founders that are the big things that you learned that you always look back to and bring up consistently when you're consulting other businesses? Yeah, story is so big, right? Like I think like everybody can anybody can produce a product. Mm-hmm. But it's it's the why, right? Like why are you doing this? What's what's the story behind it? What's what what's the purpose? Like what what makes you different? And even if your product is the exact same as somebody else's, mm-hmm. there's something about it that you can make different, right? Mm-hmm. Like even if it's even if it's your origin story, don't make it up, right? Like but but have some why behind it, right? Yeah. Like I love Simon Sinek's book, Starts With Why, right? Like yeah. his whole philosophy there is great. And but finding that purpose and that passion behind it. Because at the end of the day, if it's just a job, if it's just another me too product, when it's hard, is it gonna wake you up in the morning? Are you gonna want to go and push forward at it? Mm. Probably not. Mm-hmm. And are you gonna be able to convince your customers all the time to do it, right? Like yeah. That's going to be tough unless you're really behind it and really passionate about it. So it helps internally and externally. Absolutely, and yeah. then and then just building that as part of your core values in your company, and then everybody that you bring on board gets bought into that, right? Like, mm-hmm. and they love it. Like, I it's been hard for me over the last few years to watch people leaving the brand mm-hmm. by choice as employees, right? just because they don't feel like the core values are there anymore like they were when they started. Mm -hmm. Like when we hired these, we hired some rock stars right out of college for way less than we probably should have got them for. Mm -hmm. And and they crushed it and they had a lot of success. And But now I'm seeing them leave to other brands and go do other things. And Mm -hmm. some is because they had had differences of opinion with the prior president and Mm -hmm. he let them go or... They just didn't feel like the brand had the direction that it needed anymore. And that's hard, right? Like, yeah. that's hard. Like, to see those core values maybe disappear. And I'm hoping that with this new president, that the brand gets back to those core values and gets that resurgence mm-hmm. and and can, can really bring that internal loyalty back. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's, 
there's still reps and tech reps and some of these people there that were there when I was there. And it's that's awesome to see. Yeah. And and even though two of the founders are not with the company anymore, like Brian's still there and mm-hmm. he's got a pulse on it and he's hopefully able to influence his thoughts and his feelings to keep the core ethos there. But well, um, do you think that the reps, you know, that are still around are still around because they're working with Brian on the sales side of things? Do you think that's part of it? Yeah, Brian's not as much involved on the sales side anymore. Okay. Um, he's doing some more PR stuff and okay. whatnot. But but I do think that they know what the brand was and the product is still there and yeah. what the brand still can be, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's worth sticking around, right? That's like, good, yeah. It's always hard when you start something and then you're not involved anymore. And mm-hmm. like, I'd love to, I'd love to still be in touch with the brand, still involved in some aspect, right? Yeah. But, um, it's going so. to do a different owner and everything. I guess you can get friendly with the new president <laughs> and, you know, see what yeah, you we'll can see, do. We'll see what happens. So. Trickling a little influence here and there. So, but kind of back to advice, right? Like understanding why having that story, right? Like you're going to have hard days, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Days are going to be hard. Stuff's not going to seem like it's piecing together. And you just got to push through it, right? Yeah. Like you got to be persistent. You got to figure it out, right? Like, and and learn, right? Be open to learn. Be humble and go find the people that can help you solve the problems, mm-hmm. right? Because, because we don't, as individuals, even if we have co-founders, we don't all know everything, right? Like mm-hmm. um, we don't all understand everything. There's still a lot that we can learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't don't let fear dictate your decisions, right? Yeah. Like we talked a lot about that, but but just yeah, be be full of hope and optimism and mm-hmm. drive to what it can be. Yeah, and and then you'll you'll eventually see like you'll see success. Like, yeah, it does take persistence and um, patience. Yeah, yeah. Like my my bank account may not show that Ultra was a success, but I can assure you that like watching the brand and seeing where it is. Like, oh, I'm yeah. grateful for what we've it's done. A, it's like, a known brand for like sure. So, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been so much fun to be able to say, yeah, I started that, right? Yeah, like, it's pretty sweet. So, yeah, in, in, a, awesome. in a very tough space, it's, <laughs> it's pretty, uh, you know, impressive where, you know, how known it is. Yeah. So, thanks for coming. Yeah, no, it was a pleasure. I appreciate it, Jason. Yeah. This has been, a, this has been a lot of fun. Fun chat. Absolutely. <laughs> there we go. Jeremy Howlett, ultra running. How a small little shoe brand out of Utah was able to compete and differentiate from the big players of Adidas and Nike with a unique and innovative shoe design that made it more comfortable for a user to wear as they ran for many, many miles in their shoes. So before we jump through the field notes, I wanted to mention Klugonics, my company. That's why we do this. That's uh, the reason why this keeps going. We do full service product design, engineering, prototyping, manufacturing, sourcing, and management. We help entrepreneurs, founders build products from ground up all the way through manufacturing. With our offices here in the US and internationally, we're able to help a product go from napkin sketch to a customer's doorstep. Reach out to us on our website, klugonix.com. That's K-L-U-G-O-N-Y-X.com. So the field notes from Jeremy, he's obviously a very seasoned entrepreneur. 
um, not only with this project, but other things he has he has worked on. And I like when I get to interact with entrepreneurs that, you know, they hear an idea and that triggers and helps them realize like, oh, we could do this on our own, which is a big leap of faith. But without him getting triggered by his, by Golden's, you know, shoe designs that he was working on manually by hand, you know, the Ultra shoes would not have started. So with his background in the marketing and sales combined with that technical expertise, they were able to create something that was very unique and special. I do like the point that he made about not letting fear dictate what the future could be. I mean, being an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, fear, you cannot let get the best of you. You have to push through it and avoid it avoid letting it get to you and making decisions or pushing forward or going as big as you can go. And that's what determines a good entrepreneur from a bad one. Like me, sometimes I'm a little bit too optimistic, but I will say that has definitely helped me and the people around me get through challenging times in building business. Looking forward to what it could be can a lot of times prevent you from getting hung up on what it shouldn't be or how it can fail. And if you do fail, if optimism is there to pick you back up, that failure end up just becoming a learning lesson versus, you know, just pain, <laughs> which will happen to you. You can't avoid that, but that's okay. So to his point as well, anybody can produce a product, especially with tools like Alibaba and stuff. But I can tell you a lot of that stuff out there is just repeat, you know, lack of innovation or it's copying someone else, you know, versus not everybody can create something innovative and unique and disrupt the market or, you know, step outside of what's already on the market to create your own demand. So it's always good to ask what makes you different? What makes the product you're working on different? And make sure you're repeating that as you're going through the design and development process. And with that, it's always good to build a why into your core values that are sprinkled all throughout the development of your business and your product. And as you set up everything for that company and are setting those core values, be very intentional about that why. And then of course, be open and humble to learn. You know, I always personally like to surround myself with other entrepreneurs and ask them questions and, you know, having conversations with entrepreneurs on this podcast. I've learned a lot. I think it's valuable to stay humble. And I've seen entrepreneurs that maybe have struggled throughout the years. And I think that's a big piece to what is preventing them from becoming successful. Definitely important to stay as humble as you can because you might put up a barrier that prevents you from learning something extremely valuable that takes you on to the next step. So really appreciate that, especially coming from Jeremy, who has had quite a bit of experience founding, building, growing a business, and now helping a lot of other businesses today with doing exactly what he's done for ultra running. So thanks for listening. It's great to talk to a, a different type of product company with the shoes. Very challenging space to get into, but Jeremy has proven that it's very possible to do. You just have to create something innovative and unique that stands out. So thanks for coming on, Jeremy. And we'll see you in the next couple of weeks with our next episode. Follow us on social media platforms like LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, I guess threads now too, if that's still a thing when this episode airs. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thank you.